In this third and final segment of the episode with Larry, we talk about the final P, people. Larry kicks off the episode by talking about skill set, ensuring that leadership has done an inventory of the required skills and abilities needed to execute work in our regulated environment. Uh, Larry moves on to talk about training and competency, ensuring that the knowledge, behaviors, tendencies, methods are in place such that people can execute their work and that they are being recorded and certified against that. Larry talks about the importance of communication for teamwork, establishing a culture of trust and accountability, and how all of that culminates into a strong culture of quality. He gives examples of organizations that he's seen implement the people part particularly well. And we end the episode uh, by talking about how you can reach Larry uh, if you want to. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was my pleasure recording it. You're listening to the Combinate Podcast, a show that connects you to the most important resource in the medical device and pharma industries. It's people. My name is Subi Sedate. I'm a bioengineer, and for the last decade, I've sought to broaden my understanding in this industry and have been amazed at the wonderful people I've met and the insights they've given me. Each week, I sit down with leaders to discuss their expertise, the lessons they learned, and continue that mission. Whether you're a student, engineer, scientist, or marketer, you're sure to pick up advice and knowledge that you can apply to make an impact. Now on to the episode. Okay, so you've done all of the work to establish the framework for how your processes are going to be set, and you've disseminated all of the appropriate actions that we talked about uh, earlier, such that you have effective management reviews, can take action, and that's a, that's a whole loop in and of itself. We talked about product. Product has its loop. Uh, you know, you use the the theory of constraints a couple of times related to both product and process, and so it's it's a it's a gift that keeps on giving for the first two P's, right? Where uh, you're focusing on your problem areas, and then you're continuing to monitor, and if a signal comes, you confirm it, and then you just continually um, reassess your uh, uh, products and processes. So. Um, people. Yes. So let me begin as I began before with a quote. Um, This is from a gentleman named Fujio Cho. He was with Toyota. And he said, we get brilliant results from average people managing brilliant processes, while our competitors get average or worse results from brilliant people managing broken processes. And that's really the concept is that we have the capability uh, to work on the, the structure of the processes such that we can address constraint, identify and address constraint so that when people execute those processes, they're not doing superhuman things. Um, you know, I think I use the uh, analogy of people getting out of the car in the parking lot, coming in to do their work. They don't want to be 
charged with getting results that the process won't yield. Um, and they don't want to feel like they're on the hook for uh, as failures for processes that don't yield results that achieve the objectives of the organization. So yeah, you I want to be able to do your work because of the process, not despite it. Correct. And so, you know, people are, are really the most important um, ingredient. You can create an entire system of processes. And, you know, if one of the constraints is uh, the quality of the people, then you're in trouble. Um, the FDA defined adequate resources as, um, well, actually the, the definition of adequate, but is suitable in quantity and quality, right? So there's two components there. So I have a process, let's say, and I use complaint, uh, the complaints group, but you could take just complaint inv investigations or um, any other process inside of a complaints subsystem. And you can actually figure out by volume and tack time, how many people you need. And that's really important. You need to bring the right quantity of people but that's not enough. You also have to bring, you have to bring a methodical approach to ensuring the quality of those people. So again, it's about achieving the objectives of the business, getting the results and doing so in an efficient manner, effective and efficient. So the way I'll say this is <laughs> if I'm looking at a understanding of process failure, um, remember I talked about escalating up and identifying what isn't working. So one, and then opening an investigation, one of the first things I want to know before you even talk to me about the process is the quality of the people suitable in quantity and quality, right? So we can get to quantity. That's simple. I just talked about it. It's, it's volume and tack time. Mm -hmm. But the people piece, and again, this is really human resource people will tell you this, especially, you know, recruiters and so on and so forth. You put a role out there. You have to bring a skill set. You can't, you can't just bring anybody in off the street, you know, and typically there's a role and there's a skill set defined. That's number one. Do the people executing the process have the right skill set? And that's typically the case. So the second part is training. So this is where, you know, you can put dimensions on training. It's not just did they check the box and read the procedure and therefore they have been trained. You might want to dig into the suitability of the training tools themselves. You know, is it high quality training or is it superficial training? So you're going to call them trained, but they really weren't trained. So that's the second part is training. Now, I've got skilled people. Let's say there is good training tools and they're all trained. But have I proven them to be competent? So a lot of times companies don't take that next step. They don't, they don't prove the competency of people to have taken that knowledge and, and transferred it into the ability to or capability to use that knowledge to get the work done. And, and that, that could happen. There could be people that are really good at reading about something and communicating back that they understood it, but there could be a gap between 
what they're what they know and and their capability to execute and everybody's different see people people are the biggest variation in everything so we want them skilled trained and competent right and now we're going to plug them in and are we just going to say do that job well i i guess sorry before before you jump in i think um from a competency perspective uh, a lot of times it feels like you should be trying to prove your own competency. When you talk about proving competency, um, is that done on an individual level? Is that done on an organizational level? Can you just talk about that a little bit more? The organization should have methods and mechanisms to objectively confirm objective evidence that they have, they have competent people. So it's not turning people so, loose and saying now prove you're competent it's it's there's a gray area where you know they're not turned fully loose they might have somebody working with them or shadowing them or whatever i see okay whatever so this is this is are. like so this yeah. is like uh doing an on on the job training where they do it a lot with with auditors i know so for example you can you have to be like a provisional auditor so many times before where you're under the wing of a lead auditor before you can be an actual standalone auditor and then you have to do that for a while before you become a lead auditor that's what you're talking about yep or i've seen organizations welding is a great example where i've seen that as a skill set and people are trained but they have a room with the products that are they're going to eventually be working on and they have to create good welds of different types that are it's almost mimicked or a mock production line before they're really released into a production environment they get certified is is the best way to say it it's a certification got it. program got it okay okay now now we've got the people skilled trained competent i talked earlier about the culture of quality and there is a progression and this is this is all soft science uh, but i'm this is my <laughs> what i'm going to tell you is my opinion but i've also seen it occur and actually um the pathway to get to a culture of quality um actually begins with again leadership everything begins with leadership it really does and what they have to do is there's there's a, what I call communication for teamwork. So you, so you take those skilled, trained, competent people, and now you have to be able to explain to them, we're putting you into this work. Here are the results that we are expecting. Um, and, and it's really a matter of, of transparency, being able to communicate to them what the intent is, okay? Um, but that's necessary to, to create a culture of trust because remember before I told them or I said we're not expecting you to achieve results that are unachievable here's what we think should happen we're communicating and so it's developing that foundation for the next step which is the culture of trust and it's because when you're talking to those people let's take a new employee or even a new leader talking to a group of employees they're evaluating you they're deciding the, whether or not they're going to trust you. Trust is a personal decision. So if somebody's taken the time to make sure that I'm competent to do this work, 
and they're taking the time to explain to me those expectations of what the results should be and that we're all in this together. And I understand the organizations working on constraint wherever they find it. I'm gonna to start to think about this and internalize it. So it, it's a complicated thing. People are complicated, right? But the employees themselves actually must become, um, they, have to be, they have to become capable of being led or vulnerable to, to the um, actions of leadership. Because without that, it, it really doesn't matter. They're going to kind of do their own thing unless they're going to cede to a leader that capability of being led. They are always assessing the competency of the leadership and the integrity of that leadership as they're being led. So that's the culture of, of trust. Does that part make sense? It, it does, but I mean, to me, this is, this is one that is... Um... I I get that it's in the process, but it's leading, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's yeah. not a it's not a quantifiable thing that. <clears throat> well, I was going to tell you uh, there was a large organization that I used to be involved with that that was in some very severe trouble, and it had a leader at an SVP quality level, and this individual stepped up in a big way, and. I, at first, I thought it was just words, but he walked the talk. And so it, it was becoming vulnerable himself for where the company was, explaining his strategy for where the company was going, which involved um, aspects of what I talked about in the process d- discussion, and asking those people for his trust and inviting them to come along. And in a soft way, he also said, and if you don't want to leave, right, but we're going to do this. And he inspired people to, to trust. And the reason that that was important, because he was trying to get to that culture equality, he knew he couldn't just put up a new slogan, or put the slogan on the doors. So people saw it walking in, and the way to work or some sort put billboards up or whatever. He knew that he had to make it personal. They even changed their um, uh, mission at the time to be one that read in a very personal way and ask people to review it and decide whether or not they wanted to accept that because that was what was required. And I know it's soft science, but that was what was required to take the next step to get people to become personally accountable or have a culture of accountability. It's the next step you get, you get the, you communicate so people understand you create a culture of trust and you don't violate it. You create a culture of accountability where people decide to become personally accountable. I don't mean a victim. I don't mean like I talked about earlier, this is the job you are doing and these are the results we expect you to get. You want people to strive to get those results, but you're not going to you know, beat them for not getting the results. You're going to try to understand it if that's a constraint you need to work on. But once that culture of trust is established, people decide it's a personal decision, just like trust is, to become proactively accountable and and for the results that they can personally obtain within this work process and, and to help the team achieve its objectives 
and so on and so forth. So they, it is important to get people um, to become actively engaged in trying to obtain those results. So that's part of this people journey is you have to put these things in place before you get to a true culture of quality. And I hear people all the time throughout slogans and this and that, but a true culture of quality is only obtained when an organization exhibits that commitment, their commitment to quality through the results that they obtain, right? So like, for example, if the FDA walks in and you're, you're in trouble with whatever, and you have people giving them the, the quality slogan, they don't care. They want to see the results. And so a lot of companies, when things are wrong, things, the company is disorganized, operated in chaos. Um, it's important for leaders to, to, to take those skilled, trained, and competent people and then begin that path. It's, it's the communication for teamwork is akin to um, communicating how the quality management organization operates, as I described in the uh, process section. You have to be able to tell them as a leader, remember I made you the SVP of quality management, how you're running quality and how you're addressing so how you're running quality big Q and how you're addressing quality little Q and to get them to understand that, because if they can see your plan and you can begin to uh, walk the talk and gain that momentum, uh, they become accountable. And then before you know it through the work that they do, they start to become um, results oriented and driving. And I've seen it before. I can tell you this, it, it's soft science. And I was in a place where I didn't think it was going to work. And it was like lighting a grass fire. And you've seen that where it just spreads. It's slow sometimes, but then it picks up, it spreads and it becomes infectious. And before you know it, um, you know, I remember the FDA came into that company as, and that company had resolved a corporate warning letter faster and better, I think at the time than anyone else had ever done. And the FDA recognized it didn't matter which employee they touched. It could be someone in the production line. It could be someone working in a process. These people talked quality. They were personally invested in quality. And when you ask them what they meant, they were able to describe it in terms of the work that they did. They were personally accountable to try to do that work in the best way possible. So predictive people quality management is there is a, a progression of how you get to a culture of quality, but there's a requirement to get the people to do the work of the, you know, the process work in a way to get the results. Without that, without getting the people inspired, you can work all day long mechanically in those processes. I really don't care. You're not going to get the same results as if you take that organization and, and light it on fire with a culture of quality. And I'm certain of it. Yeah, I think that one of my favorite quotes related to uh, accountability and being led as opposed to leading is what is good for the, what is not good for the hive is not good for the bee. And going back <laughs> to what you said um, 
earlier about the process, what does an individual contributor do, uh, you know, sometimes waiting your turn. Um, but I think I, I, I agree with everything that you said. I hear the part about the grass fire. I think what I'm sort of questioning is what does that look like put into practice from a leadership perspective and disseminating sort of that mission through and through such that people feel that personal accountability and that culture of uh, trust, you called it. I mean, is it town halls? Is it, you mentioned um, making a mission that people could connect to? I mean, what what does that look like in, t- in terms of execution? Yeah, and, I, and I'll use the example that I saw in that company. Um, it, it, believe it or not, the CEO, he came, did a all company broadcast. And again, I was, uh, as a quality, I was, a, had a quality for a manufacturing site and I was still jaded, I'll say, not believing to say, okay, so the CEO got on and broadcast a message. You thought well, it was lip service. Then, then the CEO, the SVP of quality, and the SVP of operations got on a plane to every single site. And while they didn't or weren't able to communicate the details of the program that was being run, they acknowledged where we were, they acknowledged where they wanted to go, and they explained how they wanted to get there. And they invited, so they communicated right to this group of people, they invited people to reconsider where they were personally and join the effort. In other words, become part of the team. And as I said, they were nice about it, but they said, and if you can't, that's okay, but we'll have to ask you to leave. So we're inviting you to become a part of this. And of course it inspired people. It got people to take that next step and, and start to, you know, as I said, you, you look at these leaders and they made themselves vulnerable. In other words, the leadership was saying, we can't do this without you. We're inviting you to participate. And so these people be in the organization, I watched it. They became inspired. They said, this is an, in-. they came here personally to talk to us. This is an entirely different message. Now I'm saying there could be other ways to do it, but that's how this group of people did it. And then they, put into practice those things that I talked about, um, they had the visibility of, we had monthly meetings and some of them were painful as a head of quality because your, your issues were being exposed and they weren't exposing them to be mean to you. They were exposing them so that they could send in the cavalry, And they did. Mm-hmm. We had resources provided where there were constraints. And so once we started seeing these constraints be improved and eliminated. And there was another thing that rose up and the next thing and the next thing. And we saw the momentum of improvement. I'll tell you right now, it, it didn't matter what the CEO said anymore because the people down in the plant and at every level lived it. So, you know, when I see people talk about a culture of quality and I see a lot of blah, 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 um, I, I know there's a progression to get there. And it doesn't happen overnight. And it doesn't start with a logo that you put on the door. It actually starts with a process where people actually admit where they are instead of bloviating about how the FDA was wrong or, 
here's the extenuating circumstances and so on and so forth. It's a really interesting process to watch. But I'll tell you this, remember in there is embedded with at least a high level discussion with the organization of how are we gonna do this? How are we going to ensure our product? I'll do it in the terms of today with my paradigm, ensure our product is state of the art in terms of we don't harm people. And, and that's what we're focused on first and foremost. And secondly, that we are addressing our system in a mechanistic, mechanistic fashion that improves process by process where we have constraints so that this is the best place to work and you can be proud of where you work. That's, so the people part is, comes last in this discussion, but I'll say this, if you neglect it, you do the product piece, you can even do the process piece and, and keep the body at large of the organization out of it. And you're going to fail because, or you're not going to succeed to the same level that you might've, if you include them in the conversation and get the organization to get behind it in a way where if nothing else, they understand it and they know there's work going on that doesn't yet involve them, but they know that if they do their job that, everything works and they're a part of um, the system. There are cog processes or each process is a part of a subsystem is a part of a quality system and people running those processes fit into that because none of those processes work without people. How, uh, how important is it that uh, the people executing processes feel that they can make a difference in terms of how the processes are done? Oh, it's very important. Um, and and it, there's ways to work with, again, it goes back to that naming quote. If you, if you can't describe your work as a process, um, you don't know what you're doing. And so as long as people aren't just plugged in and said, do this, and it, they don't understand how it fits in the bigger picture, those people, if, if, if you give them, you know, you work, people want to be a part of something bigger. So it is important that they understand how they fit in the bigger picture and important, you know, you see this sometimes with a, a verification activity, um, they need to know what happens if you fail. Um, you know, in a process way, it could be, here's our expectation of how you do, may, I'll go back to complaint investigation, how you do complaint investigations and our expectation of on average, maybe how many you do in a day or a week or whatever. And don't worry about raising your hand, but we want you to raise your hand if for some reason, one of these becomes onerous and takes too long. We don't want you to hide that. We want you to do it right. That's the compliant part. You might not be effective in a timing perspective because this one is a little more egregious or onerous and how you, the amount of work that it involved but in the bigger picture, we're going to fail if you don't do it right um, and or you don't let us know so we can bring in, you know, flex resources to come in to pick up some of the slack so we meet our overall objectives as a team. So it's really about letting people know the big picture and then down at their local level, level to the picture around them and just involving people. That's part of that culture of trust. Culture, I'll just say it this way. There's a communication for teamwork. Here's how everything's going to work. But inviting them, culture of trust, culture of accountability, 
to get to this culture equality. It, it, it just, I know it sounds like a lot of words and no, it's not, but it means engaging with people and ensuring they're so important and ensuring that this important resource is actually executing well for the organization. What, I mean, now that we've talked about um, product, process, people, um, what does the maintenance plan look like? Uh, Is it three separate funnels? Is it all the same funnel that is just addressed in management review? Um, What does it look like once you've uh, kind of gone on that quality journey and now it's time to maintain is it just continuing to follow theory of constraints and uh in my mind it is it so i broke it up into product process and people because they're all so different um but it all rolls up remember i talked about management review and and as the ceo i'd say how are we doing with our product and oh we have an issue in what area, right? So you can, you want to be able to at the highest levels understand, does our product provide the state-of-the-art benefit of patient safety? Check. Okay. That's from a quality perspective. I want to know that. And if not self-identified and in work, how is our system doing? And is it compliant, effective, and efficient, right? That's kind of where I'm looking and um, tied to that before you, so, or in conjunction with, as soon as there's an issue, I wanna know what is our, what are, where are our people at? And you can really measure only, unfortunately, it's the tactical preparation. It's the, the proper skill set, the, the required quantity, the properly trained, because then they, and competent to execute, excuse me, and then they can execute. But in conjunction with how's the process performing, I wanna know about the people tied to it. So there's sort of a a two dimension view of that because remember how is the process performing? How is the system performing? The culture of quality, I don't care what, someone can say all day long, we're great, we have a wonderful culture of quality. Not if you have recalls, not if you're uh, across the board or even you know, one site is failing in terms of whatever. So you have to, and it's all tied to the organizational objectives too. And it has to be reasonable. The point is it's, it's all comes together. So I, I would avoid mechanically separating things too much. It's really simple. We have a system that creates an output of quality product and, and doesn't harm people. And it takes people to run that system. So as long as a management review, and I see too many, they get down into KPIs, key process indicators, and there's all, sort, all sorts of WYSIWYGs and stuff to, you know, it's, it's providing too much information, too much detail. And I've sat in reviews, management reviews at an executive level where once the people left the room, the executives looked across at each other and said, what the heck just happened? What did they just tell us? And the answer is, they gave you a lot of information at too low of a level, but there was nothing created to explain to you, here's a constraint that we want you to look at. And remember, it's executive level that works with the people in the organization to provide adequate resources. They're the ones who hold the purse strings. So if they're behind 
a way to quietly run an organization outside of the realm of chaos and a way to very predictively um, manage it and identify constraint, um, I think they'll feel a heck of a lot better. Remember I told you earlier, you're flying blind. Well, this gives you the ability to not fly blind and address key aspects of your organization. So maintenance is just wash, rinse, repeat. Good. Um, I wanted to ask you just a couple of uh, personal questions about uh, maybe not personal, but in terms of how did you uh, come up with this framework? I think the the three P's has a nice ring to it. Uh, why why only why only three? Were there other P's or A's or Q's or whatever um, that were under consideration but were removed or brought into an umbrella of the three P's? I mean, I I get the these are the must. Yep. But are there additional considerations or things that you intentionally left out? Um, so the first part is, how did I come to this? And it really came about, since I talked to you about that organization where um, we turned quality around and it was difficult, there was no doubt. Um, I went, and was I all, all the way there? No, not at all. I went to the next, my I left that, that company and, and uh Everything I've worked on since has been in, in the vein of helping remediate problems. As I said earlier, running into the fire, the burning building. And I, I tried to articulate to people ideas and concepts in my head. And it wasn't just me. There were people that worked with me. For example, the aspect of the measurement and capability to turn that real-world data into real-world evidence um, wasn't created by me, but it was created by somebody who I worked with, and uh, he was a very smart person, uh, is a very smart person. Um, so, but it was a collection of tools to help remediate companies. And the more I thought about it, there were opportunities missed because I wasn't able to fully articulate to a, a troubled company who wants to resolve this, like right now, a larger paradigm. And so, um, I've stepped back and, and, or even taking that tool that, uh, we use for the product identifying product concerns and, you know, saying to people, here's a tool to use. It has to be put in a broader concept. So the broader concept was to be able to sustain, or what I always say is measure, monitor, analyze, report, review, manage, improve, and sustain product quality. Well, that's part of a picture, but the predictive product quality to get to a predictive way to do that has to be explained to people. So, you know, you distill it down into predictive product quality management and say, here's what this looks like. There's a lot more devil in the detail, as you know, same thing with process. Then you say, well, your product quality came out of your system. And so, you know, you start talking about quality management system or quality system management, which this is quality, managing the quality of your quality system is quality system management. So it gets very convoluted. You, you can get down into the details, but at the highest level, and in this case, I really, I added on to some structure that's out there and uh, adopted something. So, uh, you know, and I let people know where it comes from as I review it with them, but 
it's it's something the FDA has used in terms of a construct to create internal accountability for some of what they do. Um, and so I, I looked at it and said, this is missing from quality management. So they, they did an accountability tied to uh, accounting, for example. Um, and I used it, I adopted it. So I can't take credit for developing those steps and understanding there's some really good work that was done by an organization out there and, and I adopted it. Um, as far as people, I think that came from the experience I had where I, I sat back and reflected, how did that work in resolving that corporate warning letter with that company? And why is this company over here after their remediation is done, their culture is still not working well. And that's the reflection where I said, what was the difference? So for example, and this often happens in a remediation activity, you bring in, companies bring in sometimes outside help, which is okay, except when the outside help says, we're the only ones that know how to do this and we're gonna tell everyone how to do it and we're gonna do it. And then they do it in as compressed time or, or there's a lot of chaos because you're bringing in all this. Well, it creates a, a bitterness with the internal people. And I could get into all different kinds of dynamics that it creates, but when the job is done, all they did was update procedures. And that's compliance focused. Nobody stepped back and said, hold on. What about, how did this get here? How, what's executive management doing to rectify how they operate the system, right? All of that. So there's a, there's a quote that comes to mind. I think it's Khalil Gibran where he says, uh, like water, I came and like wind, I go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a long convoluted answer to, um, I kind of lived it for a while where I was trying to, from within, explain, but there's so much chaos going on. I couldn't get enough traction in many situations. And I just felt if I could create a larger paradigm and articulate that, then I think as companies adopt this and use it, it can really help. And I pers personally believe quality management as a profession needs to be better served. And a lot of quality management professionals, they, what they're typically, they, they get promoted into a role and they're told, this is the quality system you have. Don't wreck, you know, you don't let anything wrong happen. And they're flying blind and they're held accountable when something goes wrong, the rest of the executives look at them and, it's like they're never given money to improve the system. And sometimes the worst I've seen is when people create a, a tax and they tell every part of the organization that we expect X percent of improvement in for your budget and so on and so forth and your objectives. And now you've got more chaos being driven by the company. So I felt I wanted to just articulate a way. Are there other ways? Yeah, probably. I wanted to articulate a way that companies could start with a product pathway. And then in the process pathway, not all subsystems are equal. Like I said earlier, the ability to do post-market surveillance and conduct risk management and conduct CAPA, for example, and management review. Some of these things, it's like the mask dropping on an airplane. You put it on you before you put it on your child. Otherwise you might not be able to help your child. And so, you know, 
there's a certain core group of subsystems and processes that are more important than maybe the findings that the FDA found as examples. They might have found something in design control. Well, not one product has ever harmed anybody that has not yet been launched or used publicly. So I will get to design control when the time comes, but there's a core group of things for management control that we address first and then the remainder of the system thereafter. What I heard from the the question in terms of how you came up with the framework is that uh, on a case-by-case basis, you came up with uh, some of the tools and parts of the framework. And then as you started to, um, you know, I think having talked to you, especially in the last interview, talking about the quality journey and translating that into predictive quality management as an executable output of, say, the um, quality journey philosophy, the idea that you're, you're on a journey, where you are in the journey uh, doesn't change the actions, but may change sort of the priorities. Uh, and then the, the PQM bit of it is uh, hard execution. You came up with um, the elements of the framework to address situations that you were seeing as they came uh, in your career. And then you embellished on those, contextualized them, and then made them sort of an overall system where it wasn't, it, it was, it, was, was this the vision always, or as you started to do things, you know, one Lego became two and two became three. And then there was a little bit of a gap and you, you, you learned something from an, another industry. You mentioned the accounting industry filled that gap and thought, Hey, I see a full picture here. Yes. So you yes, you said it correctly. And remember, and I'm, there was that wealth, Ralph Waldo Emerson quote about yeah. leaving the trail. So, you know, I could work um, for individual companies, helping them and say, articulate verbally, here's where I think you could do this differently. But if I can create something where I can lay it down and create the big picture, I'm hopeful that A, companies can use this to better remediate and quell the chaos as they do and do so in a less costly fashion. And B, and maybe I would make this A, I don't know, but B, why wait? Uh, you know, transform now. Why don't you look at this in this way now and begin this journey? Because you might be able to ward off findings that turn into OAI, official action indicated. So that's the idea. If, if I if I step back, which I did and created this bigger picture of predictive quality management and how to do it for product process and people, then perhaps it might help an organization um, become more compliant, effective and efficient. And, and that's what quality management is about. So it's feeding the quality management profession, something that they could perhaps utilize and make the future better for the organization. Where do you see predictive quality management going next? Well, um, in terms of the solution that, that I've created or in general terms? Uh, gen- both, both okay. and. Um, <clears throat> I'll take the general terms. I think industry is, is 
being forced to head that way. You have patient safety action network and other organizations that are on behalf purchasing organizations, for example, that are on behalf of the healthcare industry, uh, looking at product quality and making decisions for patient use informed consent or purchasing decisions. And there are many others. So the medical device industry is being forced to adopt much more holistic methods than they might've in the past. Um, to understand their product quality. Um, from a perspective of what, what I've created, you know, so I'm, I'm gonna be practical about it. Uh, the, the, the tool that I discussed in the product portion where we turn real world data into real world evidence for a post-market clinical follow-up purpose to feed clinical and to feed risk management. Um, that tool is being evaluated currently within a pilot study with the um, FDA and MDIC, and we're very happy about that. However, um, I would like to see it adopted. It's, it's, you know, look at it this way. It's just additive to what you're currently doing. And so take from it what you will, but it might give you an indication that you weren't getting from what you were currently doing. Um, and then the process and people portions, you know, if an organization wanted to embark upon a transformative effort or even was in trouble and, and asked me to support them in a remedial effort, uh, remedying OAI 43 observations, um, I would be happy to do that. So I, I think eventually I want it, I'm working on ways to make it more available in probably an ebook or some form where it can be delivered to industry in more of a holistic fashion. Uh, but right now I have certain level documentation that discusses at a higher level what this is. And then uh, the way I say it is there's, there's an overview and then there's what, why, and how that is underneath each of these. And, and even then certain prescriptive information below that level of information. And it's just so hard to paint the big picture and, and have people absorb it. So I'm hoping to get better and better at doing that. But in essence, you know, providing it to industry where, where I can. And, and you don't want you, Larry, to be the constraint for implementation. Uh, that's correct. And, and there's work that I'm doing with the organization to ensure that I am not the constraint <laughs> in that regard. Um, any recommendations for people in terms of resources, readings? Uh, how can they reach out to you? How can they follow you? I know you put out a lot of content uh, about PQM, outside of PQM. Um, any advice there? Every every person that reaches out comes from a different perspective. There are people that are in design control and want to know how, for example, the post-market surveillance tool can support that. There are people that are in risk management and want to know how it can support the life cycle and getting to uh, 14.971.2019 compliance. Um, there are quality people who, who, you know, might have a specific they have process concerns or product concerns. So I would say, give me a call. Um, my direct mobile number is 
821-8102. Um, another number is 844-349-2272, and that's toll free. So I can better understand what their needs are, what they might want in terms of support. You know, the way, um, the way I look at it is I can offer services or technology and or technology, but I can do it at different levels. So some people want consulting, some people want training, some people have remedi remedial issues or have to remedy 43. Some people say, I wanna go down the path of transformation or some people say, here's what we're doing and we might just want support. So it's not a one size fits all, I've learned that. And um, I'm willing to listen to whatever needs anybody has and support them at whatever level they would be willing for me to support them. Okay. Well, uh, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to um, profess and disseminate the PQM message, Larry. I hope people uh, find value in uh, this uh, interview or interviews as we, we chunk it out. Um, and thank you for coming out to the podcast again. As am I very appreciative of you. Thank you very much. You got it. Thank you for listening to the Combinate Podcast. If you would like to support the show, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please share. Please send any feedback you have to combinatepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again.